Welcome to This One Life. Today on the show, me, Daniel Zubani, your host. First of all, thank you so much for all your support. We had a truly exciting 2023, are just shy from having launched 40 episodes. And because of the many asks I get, this will be a best of fitness 2023 episode. Based on my 10 years of experience of coaching millions of users via the Freeletics platform, countless hours deep into the newest research, in-depth conversations with experts on this podcast, as well as personal experience, it's packed with fun stories and great insights designed to help you live this one life we all have to the fullest. How can you get the most bang for the buck in terms of fitness? while having the time and freedom to enjoy life. And careful, it includes subjective opinion of mine. Expect to learn a life lesson from Jordan Peterson. Why discomfort can be your best friend, how Warren Buffett's wisdom can help you finally get the fitness results you deserve, and the three nutritional concepts, the four key exercise success principles, and the two most important behavioral strategies that will make you lean, happy, good-looking, and strong while investing the minimum amount of time and having the most of your life. Before we start the show, I have one personal ask. My goal is to continuously improve this show and bring you inspiration and practical wisdom of how to live this one life we have to the fullest at no cost for you. You are already a big support by listening to this episode. Please support me with one additional simple step. Go to the place you're listening to this episode, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Click and subscribe and leave me a rating. This makes a huge difference for me. And now, enjoy the show. Chapter one, listening to Jordan Peterson will change your life. I am allergic to this, you're great exactly how you are talk. It might be well-intentioned, but it removes responsibility and agency, thereby a better life. Like a plant that is told it's perfect as is and never watered. Let's listen to Jordan Peterson for a minute. The modern idea is you're supposed to accept yourself. I think that's an insane idea, by the way. Really, I think I can't think of a more nihilistic idea than that you're already okay. It's like, no, you're not. And the reason you're not is because you could be way more than you are. And so what do you want to be? You want to be okay as you are? Or do you want to strive towards what's better? Human beings are insufficient in and of themselves and need the movement upward. And so they need to conceptualize something like the highest good and then to strive for that. You should love and feel good about the person you are now. And that's actually a dubious proposition for a variety of reasons. One is, whatever yourself is, is not only what you are. Yourself is also what you could become. And so to love yourself properly is not only to love what you are, who you are, whatever that means, but to love who you could become. Now, one of the things I've observed is that it's very demoralizing 
for the typical young person who's miserable and maladjusted psychologically and socially if you just go to them and say, well, you should feel good about yourself because they think you're good just the way you are. You're perfect just the way you are. You should accept yourself just the way you are. It's like, well, okay, so what does that say about who I should become? Is that just now off the table because I'm already good enough in every way? So am I done or something? There are three core concepts of what he said that I want to underline. First, you should strive for more. Second, it doesn't help anyone who does not feel great if you tell them they should or they're good enough. It kills the path to change, the path to grow. And thirdly, feel happy about yourself while wanting to grow and improve as that future you is part of yourself now. The headline here is that I believe the art in life is to work on yourself and strive for better while enjoying the process and appreciate what you have now, where you are now, and who you are now. In this episode, it's about becoming physically fit. The benefits of this are undisputed. More energy, feeling better, being more healthy, having your brain work better. Yes, also that, as Dr. Tommy Wood explained throughout two episodes, number 20 and 21. You look better, you're being perceived better by other people, you have more stamina, also in the bed, and you not only live longer, but you enjoy your life much longer. I don't want to be that pathetic looking person with sagging shoulders dull gaze, soft and out of breath just because I took a flight of stairs. But how? That's the big question. There is a world of fitness influencers and programs and secret diets confusing the shit out of people because it's low carb today, low fat tomorrow, protein is bad, eat more protein, high intensity interval training is the best, no running is the best, in the gym do 12 repetitions per set, no use heavy weights, and so on. The reality is much more simple. Everyone can be decently fit. Now, if you want to be the most ripped person on the beach, stop now, because that's not what we're going to talk about. Why? Well, for a start, in my view, life sucks if that's your goal. I experienced that myself. I saw that countless times at Freeletics. It can be a worthwhile experience to learn for a short period of time what is required to get to that level of muscle and low body fat. Overall, though, the process sucks. You need to focus a big part of your life on that goal. You forego social events, nice dinner times, time with your loved ones or at work, and the dieting is brutal, going to such low levels of body fat to have a truly defined six pack requires eating less calories than you burn for a long time to lose the appropriate amount of fat. The diet itself is boring. You have less energy, you get moody, lower libido. Everybody who thinks that's a great time doesn't know how much fun life can actually be. And even if you get your six pack, mostly it's not worth it. You need to keep a relatively strict diet to hold on to it unless you are some genetic wonder. And while 
a few bros will give you the credit if you reach that six pack and a few girls might really like it. The vast majority of people really doesn't care. Smart people mostly know that those with high muscle and low fat, independent of whether they're a woman or man, are no fun. Plus, those people make you feel bad in your own body. So the headline is becoming decently fit, which still means better than 95% of other people is way easier and more worthwhile than striving for the very extreme fitness goal. In the end, I'm focused on being well-balanced in life to be happy. So remember, our goal is to get into a mindset in which one, we strive for more, and two, we feel happy about ourselves while wanting to grow and improve, as that future you is part of us already now. Chapter two, Joe Rogan rightfully throw a wrench into this get fit overnight bullshit promises. Now, I'll have to kill some of our momentum right now. Some suffering in the pursuit of your goal is inevitable. I don't want to bombard you with videos of other people in this episode, and this is going to be the last one. But Joe Rogan puts this so very well. It's this fear of discomfort. People have this extreme feeling in their mind uh, when it comes to their associations with exercise. They want to avoid discomfort. They feel like any type of exercise is just like something to be avoided. That's not for me. Fuck that. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to strain. And a lot of times this association that they have is about the beginnings of getting in shape. It's not about once you're actually fit. Because once you're actually fit, exercise is something you look forward to. It's an alleviation of stress. It's, it feels great. Like if I can't get a workout in, I'll, I look at my schedule. I go, ah, oh, shit, I don't have any time for a workout, which means I'm not going to get that good feeling. And so instead of looking at it like, oh, I've got to go grunt and sweat, I'm thinking I'm not going to feel good. I'm not going to feel relaxed. I'm not going to feel carefree. And I'm not going to feel even appreciative. Like my appreciation of things, and it gets enhanced greatly after exercise. I just feel better. I feel like I can take things in for what they are rather than, you know, whatever the, whatever sensory data that I'm getting from any event is just uh, one more distraction that gets in my way. And, and you know, that that's a lot of times how I look at things if I'm overstressed or if I'm working too much. Like our bodies, for whatever reason, uh, most people, their associations are to avoid anything that's uncomfortable. But it's so illogical because when you look at comfort and you look at success and progress and the eventual the feelings of accomplishment and of getting past certain hurdles and in, in terms of like how you feel about life a lot of those are connected to discomfort like discomfort is your friend it really is like discomfort and uh, and not being happy and content with certain situations in life or certain feelings in life they're massive massive motivators and they're they're amazing at at facilitating change let's repeat that it's so fundamental discomfort is required for real progress and here's the thing it can be your friend your superpower your competitive advantage the place others don't go 
that separate the ones who get shit done from those who don't. Think about discomfort as this mistakenly feared forest, a forest that looks tangled and impenetrable from the outside, dark and scary, but is easily navigatable once entered. The scary shadows and sounds turn out to be perfectly normal things, but because that forest, that discomfort, seems so daunting, most people shy away and never reach the other side. Make discomfort your friend, and you're unstoppable in life. Chapter 3. The Upside versus Downside Paradox. Or why 90% of people who work hard still don't get the results. This is such an important concept. There are countless examples of people who work hard on their fitness and just don't see the results. Maybe that's even you. One very common reason for this I see is the upside versus downside paradox. What can we learn from Warren Buffett regarding fitness? It's not as if he's well known for his physical fitness, but he's a financial investing monster. And there is an important learning from Warren Buffett you can apply to fitness. His rule number one is never lose money. And his rule number two is never forget rule number one. Why? Well, if you invested a dollar and you lost 50 cents, you have left 50 cents. That means to go back to the $1, you have to invest your remaining 50 cents and make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. And that's almost impossible to do without getting wiped out in the market for taking on too much risk. Now, this is not an episode on investing. So where's the connection? Well, basically the same applies to fitness the same Warren Buffett rule. If you take huge losses in fitness, those could be terrible overeating on the weekends or letting one missed workout turn into a month of not working out. It's brutally hard to recover from these losses. If you overate on the weekend by 2000 calories per day, which is not difficult, a couple of sweets, You'd have to be down 800 calories per day during the week just to get back to where you started before the binge. And there is no workout you can do in one week to compensate for the month you did not work out. So the headline here is cut the losses. Remember Warren Buffett's rules. Don't go on that binge. Don't skip workouts for longer periods of time. It's much better to have a steady, decent stream of workouts that are not too strenuous, have meals that are good but not perfect, then be perfect for some time, and then have these huge missteps. You cannot recover from these huge missteps. You, you're treading water, staying at the same spot despite working so brutally hard for some periods of time. That's why so many people who work hard on their fitness don't get anywhere. Stop the all or nothing thinking. Don't binge, don't be too hard on yourself. Just be consistently not bad. In consistently being not bad, you will outcompete 95% of people in terms of results by just consistently not fucking it up. And 
I personally follow one clear rule. I never skip a workout. I might modify it, shorten it, go for a walk instead of a gym session if there's a good reason for it. But I never completely skip my workout. Because in that way, I never come into this place where I negotiate with myself to not work out. I just work out every day. Just what I do can change. Make one activity per day your default. Unless you're ill or disabled, if you can't get a 20-minute walk into your day, there's something seriously wrong in your life. Or you're just making excuses. Chapter 4. These three nutritional concepts will bring you lifelong health, beauty, and well-being. I have bad news and good news for you. The bad news? Everything considered normal is terrible nutritional behavior. The good news? Eating well is quite simple. Much more than people want to make you believe. There was a famous meeting of executives very high up in tobacco companies. I think sometimes in the 60s. And this famous quote was, we don't have to prove the world that smoking is good. We just have to create enough doubt about whether it's bad. And that is the same with the big industrial food companies nowadays. They know that their processed food is shit. It's really bad for you. But it's profitable and it tastes good. And their agenda is to create enough confusion about whether it's really bad. So they pay doctors to claim the opposite. They show results of studies in unfavorable light or neglect some part of that story, all to give you just enough doubt whether that great tasting processed food piece of shit is really that much worse than your plain potato and steak. Let's dive deeper into this bad news. The number one killer is the standard American diet. Listen to Dr. Greger on this. Uh, according to the Global Burden of Disease Study, the largest systemic analysis of risk factors in history, the number one cause of death in these United States is the American diet. Cigarettes kill about a half million Americans every year, whereas our diet kills many more. So the most important decision we can make every day is what to put at the end of our fork. And the flip side of that is that misinformation about diet may be the most dangerous. That is so important to understand. What you call normal, the standard, is really bad. And while the standard European diet might be better than the standard American diet, it's still far away from good. Because the standard diet is being created by what tastes best, and let's be honest, the healthy options can taste good, but will never taste best. And the standard is created by what provides most profit. And that are cheap, ultra-processed foods built from the cheapest ingredients, branded to a company, pumped with preservatives for maximum shelf life. The food industry employs taste engineers who don't do anything else other than trying to make the food as addictive and cheap as possible. Everybody knows that. The politicians know that. But the last figurehead who 
was really straightforward was subjectively JFK. Listen to the badass. There is nothing, uh, I think, uh, more unfortunate than to have uh, soft, chubby, fat-looking children who go to uh, watch uh, their school play basketball every Saturday and regard that as their week's exercise. I hope that all of you will join and everybody in the United States to make sure that our children participate fully in a vigorous and adventurous life. Nowadays, it's all about being politically correct. That means you have to take responsibility for your nutrition. You have to take action. If you live to the age of 85, you will likely more than 150,000 times decide what you are going to eat, literally what you put into your body. If you don't think that's one of your most important things to figure out in your life, I don't know. Here are three simple nutritional concepts that give you huge bang for the buck. One, use the right tool for your problem. Weight loss is mostly influenced by diet. You cannot outwork a bad diet. It's very easy to consume 1,000 calories. Two Snickers, that's it. I could eat four. Or 100 milliliter of oil hidden in your dishes also account for 1,000 calories. Very, very easy. But to burn 1,000 calories via exercise, that can be up to two hours of vigorous movement. For weight loss, I'd focus fully on my nutrition. And if you add exercise in that context, don't do long-form cardio. Ideally, do resistance training as it preserves muscle mass and provides stimuli to keep your metabolic rate up. Alternatively, you can do high-intensity interval bursts. Exercise is to improve performance, longevity, shaping your body by building muscle, feeling good, attractivity. And from this perspective, the first type of exercise I'd recommend to add is resistance training. What does taking care of your nutrition mean? Let's dive into tip number two. Keep it simple, keep it timeless. The whole nutrition space is confusing as hell. Experts, influencers, studies, they all contradict each other. There's always something new in vogue and via social media and our short attention spans, only the most simplified, provocative, new and hot messages survive. This provides massive incentives for disinformation as for example, discussed in episode number 35 with Stefan Guillenet. I'm going to give you my take on this. And yes, it's simplified too, but it's neither new nor hot. In fact, it's very boring. And yes, it includes subjective opinion of mine, but built on 10 years of coaching millions of users via the Freeletics platform, countless hours deep into the newest research, in-depth conversations with experts, as well as my personal experience. I'm turning 40 now, running multiple companies, spend time with my wife and daughter, and I'm never hungry, but still fit. So you can argue whether this is the best strategy, but it's definitely a great one. So simple and boring. What is a good diet? Three things. One, mostly unprocessed food. That's the most important. Unprocessed food, so these are foods typically fresh, raw, free from additives, preservatives, or artificial substances. Examples include fresh fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, eggs, beans, potatoes, and meats such as chicken breast, steak, and fresh fish. 
they are as close to their natural state as possible without being refined, canned, chemically processed, or modified in any significant way. Anything that has an ingredients list is likely processed, especially if there are more than two or three ingredients, such as water or salt in there. If your great-great-grandmother knew that food, it's likely unprocessed and good to go. So don't let that industrial shit into your body. That's number one. Then two, balanced macronutrients with low sugar and high fiber. There's so much discussion around high carb, high fat, carnivore, vegan, and a lot of these can work if you keep rule number one in mind with some pros and cons of these different diets. I think it's most practical to have carbs, fats, and protein within your diet, both from a lifestyle perspective and how you feel. Limit sugar as much as possible and make this a conscious treat if you have sugar, if you have sweets. And in combination with aiming at foods with high fiber, you'll have a great rule of thumb. Try to have fats at least 30% of your total calorie intake for optimal hormonal balance and try to get in some omega-3 fats. Fruit every now and then is good, too much of it, and it falls into the sugar rule and the negatives outweigh the pros. The third rule, I have vegetables and protein with almost every meal. It's a simple hack for so many things from managing satiety to getting the right nutrients. We're going to dive into this deeper at a later point in time. Tip number three, the hierarchy of managing your weight. If you have a weight goal, whether that's to lose fat or to gain muscle, there is a very simple hierarchy of things you need to check for. From a nutrition side, we're only talking about the nutrition side. And spoiler alert, supplements and that kind of stuff are last on that list. Before giving you the hierarchy, please note, the hierarchy does not say that things lower in hierarchy have no importance. What it does say is that without ensuring that the first or the previous step in that hierarchy isn't properly set up, you won't win anything by looking at a step further down the line. So here's the hierarchy. If you want to manage weight from a nutritional perspective, you need to manage your calories first. If you want to lose weight, the calories that you consume need to be lower than those you burn. If you want to gain weight, I mean muscle mass, they should be at least as much so in balance or a slight increase in calories versus what you're burning. If that's not given, the other steps will not change your results. Now, if you have managed calories, secondly, look at your macros. You can optimize for certain goals, depending also on how your body reacts to certain macros. There are people who react extremely good to carbs. There are people who react worse to carb carbs. There is unfortunately no easy way to figure that out other than trying it for yourself. But the importance of the macro distribution is far less than, first of all, managing your calories. Likely, even if you manage certain macros worse than others, whether that is you do bad with a lot of fat or you do bad with a lot of carbs. If your calories are where they should be, 
you will still make progress towards your goal. So calories first, macros second, your micronutrients third. They matter. Micronutrients are important. There are a bunch of essential micronutrients, which means your body cannot produce them. They have to come from your nutrition, from external sources. Fourth is timing of food. So where do you eat compared to when you exercise, when you sleep, and these kind of things. But really, it's just the fourth. So for example, intermittent fasting, this advertised magic pill, is really no magic at all. If it works for people, then it likely only works because overall it helps them to reduce their overall calorie intake. That's the whole magic. So if you do well with, for example, only eating within a couple of hours per day, only having two meals instead of three, awesome, go for it. But if your calories are not in place, then also intermittent fasting won't change anything with your results. And then fifth are supplements. If all the other things are in place, supplements can help give you a couple of percentage points, better results, help you a bit with workout performance, help you a bit with recovery. But again, they come in last. So if you have troubles gaining weight, if you have troubles losing fat, don't start with supplements. Start with all other parts first. So to recap that again, it's calories first, then macros, then micros, then the timing of food, and then supplements. Tip number four, to eat healthy, add things to your diet and give yourself time. Often when you change your diet, it's focused on what you shouldn't eat anymore or less. And in theory, that makes sense. But in practice, when you remove something from your diet that you liked, you are pissed. Your body is trying to fight against that change. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. Your body and brain are very good at keeping their cushion for bad times, at reducing the amount of energy that they spend, of always having an extra cushion of energy available. That's cushion that you want to get rid of. So add first. Add that vegetable and protein to your diet. And don't subtract anything initially. Add the healthy things, keep the unhealthy things, unless it's suddenly really easy for you to drop them. So you don't have to force yourself to continue eating unhealthy things. But other than that, just add the healthy things into your diet. Let your body get accustomed to the healthy stuff. Let your taste buds get accustomed to that stuff. And then start to gradually reduce the unhealthy and add more of the healthy. But one step at a time. Don't rush. You gave your body 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years in that crappy diet. A few more weeks or months on a not yet perfect diet, who cares? It's the long-term success we're looking at. And with this strategy, you will like the way that you eat. You will feel full after your meals. You will have liked the taste despite now eating healthy instead of the crap that you did before. Chapter five, four key exercising success principles for everyone who wants to be strong and lean while investing the minimum amount of time. You can get highly personalized training plans adapting to your specific daily circumstances for the cost of a coffee per week. That's not what's missing in the success equation. But here are a couple of things that could make a difference to whether you keep 
your workout routine and see progress or not. First, it sounds so boring simple, yet it is so essential. Take small steps when you start a new plan. Fuck this all or nothing thinking. If you go from no exercise at all to four times per week, 60 minutes and 10 sessions, you will most likely fail. Start small, have patience. You overestimate what you can get done in the short term and underestimate how dramatically you can change your performance and body in the longer term while enjoying it. That goes hand in hand with choose something that you enjoy doing. Again, something extremely simple. And we have talked about this earlier that some discomfort initially is normal. But really, the more you like during the activity, the more likely you'll keep it up. No rocket science. And every activity is done is better than the perfect activity you didn't do. Choose something, a type of activity, and an intensity level that you can picture yourself to enjoy and then increase it slightly over time, step by step. If you do something that you know you will hate every time you do it and you every time have to brutally force yourself to do it, no matter how theoretically perfect that would be for you, you will fail with that plan. Number two, lift weights. It makes you stronger, more happy, increases longevity, makes you smarter, and gives your body a proper shape. This is equally true for women. The mainstream narrative is that women do cardio and men the weights, and we need to break that. My episode number 18 with Dr. Stacy Sims dives a lot deeper into this topic. Number three, how to lift weights. Again, no detailed instructions here, but principles. Prioritize compound multi-joint exercises like deadlifts, squats, pull-ups, bench presses, shoulder presses. They activate most muscle per rep and therefore give you the most stimuli. Progressive overload is the other topic. Increase weight and volume over time. How often and how much do you need to train? As little as one 40-minute session per week focusing on an intense compound exercise weightlifting session? is sufficient for muscle growth and strength stimuli. Three times 30 minutes are a great sweet spot for impact versus effort. Number four, an optimal training regimen in a sense of optimizing for life happiness with very high impact per time would be a mix of resistance training, high intensity interval training, and doing some type of sport or movement that requires a lot of complex coordination. So this complex coordination, which could be a ball sport, which could be martial arts, helps with coordination, movement, and brain stimuli. So what could be a time-optimized weekly program? For example, two times 30 minutes resistance training, one 20-minute high-intensity interval training session, one complex movement session. This would absolutely kill it for your body. Also your mind, your brain. Small bonus here from a timing of a day perspective. So the general topic of timing when to exercise. This does not make a huge difference, but 
it consistently shows in studies that there is a difference. Your highest performance you'll most likely have in the afternoon if you're on a standard circadian rhythm. And at the same time, your cardiovascular system is most vulnerable in the morning. This means heart intense exercise better in the afternoon. Chapter six, the final chapter, and likely also the most powerful one. The two most important behavioral strategies that will make you lean and strong. We all experienced the big problem of mankind. <laughs> Knowing what we should do and actually doing it are two very different things. Very, very, very different things. On top of that, in the realm of fitness, unknowingly, we often work against our brain mechanisms and the systems that have been programmed into our DNA for millennia. So what can we do about this? Make it easier for us and work with our ancient brain systems. Minimize our reliance on discipline and willpower. How? Again, very simple. Number one is environmental design. Fancy word, simple meaning. What happens if you're an alcoholic and you want to change that? Well, you don't go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in a bar. What happens if you quit smoking? You don't meet in the cigarette lounge of a hotel. No, you do the exact opposite. You throw out the alcohol, the cigarettes, you don't go into bars, you ask your friends to not drink while you're around, you ask them to absolutely refuse to give you a cigarette no matter what you say, maybe even you don't see them for a while. You don't go strolling in a liquor shop. And the same thing applies to health and fitness. Don't meet with friends in a fast food restaurant. Don't have the food at home that you don't want to eat. Make it more difficult to reach the food you tend to overeat but can't get rid of. For example, by having that food stored in your cellar. Find a friend circle that eats well, that exercises. If you have friends that are lazy, negative, and fat, you'll be lazy, negative, and fat. If you have friends that are active, positive, and learning, you'll be active, positive, and learning. That's environmental design. Number two, manage your satiety. Satiety is the key signal for most people to stop eating. And it is very different as to after how many calories consumed, this satiety signal kicks in. The less water and fiber the food includes, the better it tastes, the more you will eat before you feel full. I can eat three Snickers, no problem, that are 1,500 calories. And nobody wants to eat horrible tasting food, understood. But if you focus on water, fiber, and a taste that is between okay and good, you will eat far less calories by the time you will feel saturated. A bowl this size with lean protein vegetables, salad, beans, a light olive oil dressing will be somewhere between 500 and 700 calories. But this bowl is huge. It will take you 30 minutes just to eat it. And afterwards, you're completely full. You could be on a weight loss program, eat three of these bowls per day and still lose weight. You can lose weight and never feel hungry. You can manage your weight, which means staying on a level 
and never feel hungry. You need to take this association out between wanting to lose weight and feeling terrible and hungry. Because feeling terrible and hungry, you might fight through that for a couple of days if you're good, maybe even for a couple of weeks, but that's it. At some point of time, you won't have the willpower and the discipline anymore and you will fail. But by managing your satiety, you can have best of both worlds. Lose weight or keep your weight and still feel full and satisfied. That's it, dear listeners. My goal is to continuously improve the show and bring you inspiration and practical wisdom of how to live this one life we have to the fullest at no cost for you. Please support me with one simple step. Go to the place you're listening to this episode, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Click on subscribe and leave me a rating. This would make a ton of difference for me. Thank you so much for a great 2023. I hope you'll crush your fitness and health in 2024, also with the help of these tips. And I'm looking forward to a great year together with you.